things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, you are disposed to go. Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, and do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Would you pray with me? Mighty God in heaven, you know how deeply grieved, sobered we are at the loss of our dear brother. We thank you for the hope of the gospel that he had, that it was his desire to bring you glory in his life and in his death. So we pray that you would guide our reflections this morning um, as we're in our grief, that we would reflect on our own lives and that you would teach us by your holy word. We need to hear from you, our God. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. So for the past few months, I've had numerous opportunities to sit with uh, Grace and Steve in their uh, living room talking about God and life and death as they um, saw Steve's death approaching them. And I'll tell you that one of the main uh, topics we talked about during his final weeks was what does it mean to glorify God in your death? This, uh, this was an important topic both for Grace and Steve as they processed what the Lord had given to them, what does it mean for us to glorify God in this season? And actually, actually I was talking to Grace yesterday that she said it was something that Steve often asked Cameron, his son, "Why why did God make you? For his own glory. It was a regular teaching that Steve left with Cameron, is that the reason we exist, the reason God made us, the reason we're on this planet is for God's glory. It's the only thing that makes sense of our life and our death. And of course, in some ways, death is so senseless. Our God is the Lord and giver of life, and so death is one of his great enemies. But also, because of the gospel, that God himself became a man in Jesus, and God himself died on the cross. He has transformed death into a part of, of every life that brings glory to God. Which means that one of the most important ways you will glorify God in your life 
is by dying well. It's one of the things we don't think about. It's one of the ways that I will glorify God is in my death. But also, whenever someone dies in our community, one thing that God wants us to do is reflect on the meaning of our own lives. I'm sure that that is something that Steve would have wanted for us to reflect on who God is and what life is about. Why are we here? Are we living in a way that recognizes that our lives are short? And what the Bible tells us is that Steve's discovery about the glory of God does not just give meaning in the face of death, but it gives meaning to everything. Is the only thing that makes sense of everything in our life. And so it's fitting that we come to this passage It's one of the most important passages of the whole Bible that tells us the centrality of the glory of God in our lives. Look, you saw that there in verse 31 where it says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. An amazing statement that glorifying God is not just something we do on Sunday morning when we come to worship. It is what can define everything we do, our work, our play, our family, our friendships, our suffering, our conflict, our church life, and our death. It is the organizing principle that draws all those things together and makes sense of our life. And so this morning I want to describe what it means for a life to glorify God. And this passage tells us four important things about a life that brings glory to God. And I usually tell you what those four things are beforehand, but I'm going to tell you as we go along this morning. And so if your life is defined by glorifying God, what will it look like? Four things that this passage tells us, important time for, our, for us to reflect on these truths. So the first thing is this. Glorifying God is loving those who are different than you. Glorifying God is loving those who are different than you. And you see in verse 23, Paul states an interesting principle. In verse 23, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now you'll notice in that verse, if you look at that verse, there's quotes around the the words, all things are lawful. And the reason there's quotes is because most commentators say that Paul is quoting a letter that the Corinthians had written to him that he's responding to. And that was something that the Corinthians were often telling to one another, that all things are lawful. You know, Jesus has died for our sins. We're forgiven. He set us free. So we we can do whatever we want with our lives. We are free. And interestingly, Paul does not say that that statement is wrong, but he qualifies it, and he says all things are lawful, true, but not everything builds up. Not everything, uh, uh, but not all things are helpful. Not all things build up. And then he says this in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And the Greek word there for neighbor is, is actually the word heteros, which means the other, or the person who's different. And so what Paul is literally saying there, let us not seek our own good, but the good of the people who are different than us. That is what a life that brings glory to God looks like, is bringing good to people who are so different than us. And so Paul says, yes, Jesus has given you freedom. He's taken away many of the religious regulations of the Old Testament and many man-made religious regulations to set you free to enjoy uh, his life so that you can make connections with people and so that you can build bonds with people. Because one of the main things that keeps us from building bonds with people who are different than us are religious beliefs. 
dogmas, laws, restrictions. And the more restrictions we have, the more we judge other people, the more we keep other people at a distance. And one of the things that Jesus came to do is to remove those barriers so that we can draw near to people. And this is why legalism, legalism is when men add laws to God's commands. God's commands are good. You know, 1 John says, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It is a blessing to, to, uh, to obey God's laws. But every law that a church makes or that people make keeps people who are different from us at a distance. And yet a life that glorifies God looks like building relationships with all kinds of people who are different than us. People inside this church, you know, there's people in this church that are very different than us. There's people outside in our neighborhoods, in our workplace that are very different than us. And I'll say that some people are better at this than others, connecting with people who are different than them. And so um, what makes us able to connect with people that think differently than us, whose personalities are different than us? Well, I think that Paul gives an answer to the answer in this passage, which is our second insight. Not only that glorifying God is loving those who are different than us, but second, loving God, I'm sorry, glorifying God is enjoying God's world and giving thanks. I just, as a comment, you know, that was a big part of Steve's life and something that I heard a lot about in the, in the last weeks of his life. You know, uh, Grace and Steve would go for drives to look at all the fall leaves and the beauty of God's creation. And uh, he loved looking out of his window at, at the bay. And of course, you know, Steve was a runner. He did Ironmans and uh, marathons. Uh, he loved being a part of God's world, and his heart was filled with gratitude to the Lord for the many blessings of living in God's world. And you can see in this passage, this is a kind of a strange verse here. But it says in verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the market, in the meat market, without raising questions on the ground of conscience. Now, this is kind of a strange verse, especially for the Apostle Paul to say. The Apostle Paul was, before he was a Christian, he was a Jewish Pharisee. And so of all people, if he was in a pagan marketplace buying meat, like in a place like Corinth, he would have had all kinds of questions about where that meat came from. You know, was this meat offered to an idol? Was this used in a religious uh, ceremony? I'm not going to touch anything that might have been contaminated by idolatry. And so amazingly, Paul says, though, just eat the food. Buy whatever food they're selling in the meat market and eat it. And because he knows that the more scruples that you have about the food you eat, the more barriers you're going to have to eating with people and spending time with people. And so why, though, does he say that you can just eat whatever meat is served in the marketplace? Look at what he says, verse 26, where he quotes the majestic opening line of Psalm 24. This is what he says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He says the way that we should see this world that we are living in, the whole thing belongs to the Lord. The whole thing is charged with his beauty and goodness and love and creativity. And this world we are living in is a world he wants us to enjoy and to receive as a gift. And see, I think many people, when they think of a life that brings glory to God, I think they think that it means there's going to be all these laws. You know, if I'm going to be holy, then God is going to say no to all the things that bring me joy. And I'm going to have to accept this miserable life that God wants to lay on me. And Paul says that uh, 
deeply challenges that view of holiness and says that those are the laws of men. God's world is charged with pleasure and goodness, and all of God's laws are to lead us into God's goodness, into enjoying God's goodness and receiving his goodness with thanksgiving. That's what his laws are for. And so uh, G.K. Chesterton, who uh, wrote a book called Orthodoxy, which was about how he became a Christian, this is what he says in Orthodoxy, The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. God's desire is for good things to run wild in our lives. And the order that he puts into our life is to set those things free. They're for freedom. And so many of you might hear that. You say, wow, that's what glorifying God means, enjoying God's creation and his world. You know, how is that different than how most people live in Bellingham? You know, most people in Bellingham love the mountains. They love running and they love the bay and they love craft beers. They love music and the arts and culture. Isn't that a, a life of glorifying God? Well, there's one enormous difference that Paul talks about. And if you turn to page three in your bulletin, I put a quote from 1 Peter 4, or sorry, 1 Timothy 4 where Paul says something very similar in that passage that he says in 1 Corinthians 10, and where he's warning about false teaching. And this is what he says. Listen to, listen to Apostle Paul. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in, uh, in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, listen to what the teachings of demons are. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. He says that the teaching of demons is to say, I don't want people getting married and having sex, and I don't want people feasting together and eating all kinds of food and enjoying it. That's the teaching of demons. And it's the teaching of the gospel that he says next is for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And so there's the important difference. Did you hear it? He says nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not something we can take for granted. This world is charged with good things, but they are all supposed to lead us to God himself. We're supposed to... receive this world of blessings and they're all supposed to lead us to the goodness of God that we would praise him and adore him. And so we're not just supposed to devote ourselves to the gift, but to the giver of all good things. And so how many of you think that um, enjoying God's world and giving him thanks was essential to living a life that glorifies God? Your delight in his world is essential to glorifying him by giving him thanks. Because that makes sense. You know, when you enjoy his creation and you're joyful and you celebrate these things, you are announcing to the world that God is good and he's generous and he's kind and he wants us to be happy and he wants to give us good things. And that's who our God is. But, you know, there's an interesting byproduct of that. That if you love God's world and you're, you love mountains and trees or you love gardens and you love, uh, you love food and eating with people or you love music and sounds or arts or culture and you love all of these things, the byproduct of that is that all those things are a million different bridges that you have into other people's lives. 
Because there's other people who love those things as well. And the more things that you delight in, those are more opportunity for you to build bonds with people who are different than you. And that's how Paul envisions our life as Christians, is sharing it with those who are different, particularly non-Christians. Look at what it says in verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. This is an amazing picture. Paul pictures that all the Christians and non-Christians are sharing meals together. That's a regular thing that's happening in the Corinthian church. And I also think it's interesting that the non-Christians are inviting the Christians over for dinner. I think we always think that we're, you know, we're going to be inviting uh, the non-Christians over, which we should. But apparently, the non-Christians like the Christians in Paul's version and want to be with them and spend time with them. And so they invite them over so that they can hang out with them, which, by the way, was true of Jesus. You know, Jesus never invited anyone over his house for dinner. He didn't have a house. He was homeless. And it was people who invited him over because Hebrews tells us he was more filled with joy. He was more anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of his companions. People wanted to be with him because there was a joy and a gratitude in the goodness of God's world. And so the interesting first description of a life that glorifies God is this how you would have described it. It looks like loving and building bonds and relationships with people that are different than me. And one of the things that enables us to do that is enjoying the blessings of God's world with an open and thankful heart. And as a result, you'll find yourself eating with all kinds of different people who believe all different kinds of things about the world than you do. That's a life that brings glory to God. Now, some of you will hear that, though, and you say, you know, that sounds kind of like just a basic modern, liberal, general spirituality. You know, I like people that are different than me. I don't judge anyone. I don't look down on anyone. I don't, you know, believe what you want, and, but I, I live a grateful life, and I receive everything in my life. I'm very grateful for everything I have. I don't cause it, you know, I don't judge anyone, and I'm grateful for what I have. Well, there's a little more to Paul's ver- vision of what a life that brings glory to God is, and this is the third important aspect that can't be missed, is that glorifying God is standing by our principles, or we should stay standing by God's principles. Paul, though he wants the Corinthians to have dinner with all kinds of people, all kinds of people who are not Christians, and, not, uh, and he doesn't want their conscience to get in the way, he qualifies his statement. You'll look again, if you look at verse 27 again, it says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Now, this is kind of an uncomfortable situation where Paul's saying, now, there's going to be sometimes when you go to someone's house, an unbeliever's house, and they're going to say to you, well, you know, this meat that we're eating is a sacrifice to this idol, and you're going to kind of be a part of the sacrifice by eating with us. And he says, you know, as a Christian, you have to say, well, I don't mean to be rude, sorry, but I can't eat this. My loyalties are to Jesus. He is my God, and it would be, I'd be dishonoring him if I ate this sacrifice, this idol, so I can't do it. I'm sorry it's uncomfortable. I know this is uncomfortable. But in a life, in a God-glorifying life, you will have times in your work, in your family, in your friendships, where you will have to uncomfortably stand by your principles. There are principles that may make people not like you. 
And by the way, you know, for those of you who are younger people, you know, if you're a middle schooler, high schooler, college age person, I know that you want to connect with people. You know, especially in that age, I desperately want friends. I want people to like me. I want people to be with me. And that's not a bad thing, actually. God's made you for friendships and relationships. That's a good thing. But there are going to come times when those people that you deeply want that connection with are going to invite you, command you, to do things that would dishonor the Lord. You know, let's go, hey, let's go get drunk. Let's, let's go look at porn. Let's smoke weed together. You can't thank God for any of those things. That's re- this reason we can't do those things is because we can't thank God for them. They're not good things that we're, are going to lead us into thanksgiving. They're going to alienate us from God. And so we have to say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but I can't be a part of that. I belong to Jesus. And I'll tell you, some people will be offended by that. Some people will make fun of you for that. Many people will respect you for that, for having principles in something that you believe in, that you stand by, even if it's unpopular. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I ran into one of my old math professors a couple weeks ago. I, I studied math when I went to, to Western. And uh, after I was at Western, I was, started a PhD program at the University of Washington. I didn't do the PhD, but for whatever reason, there have only been a couple people in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years or so, who've gone from Western to the University of Washington. And the one other guy, it turns out, that went from Western to UW was also a Christian. And actually, he goes to one of our sister churches down in Seattle, Green Lake Presbyterian. It's kind of a strange coincidence with these two guys. I was talking to this professor, and he knew that we were, you know, both religious people. And apparently, the rumor was that I had dropped out in order to join a cult, and which <laughs> wasn't true. But he was telling me, he said, you know, it's interesting, this other guy uh, had worked for him as a, uh, as a graduate student to help him with some of his research, and there was a computer program that he had to have on his computer in order to do this research, and the, and the professor said, well, just use my version. And so this guy said, hey, listen, I want to help you out, and I'm not trying to, you know, cause problems, but, you know, this says clearly that I, I have to have my own version of this program on my computer. And so, you know, it probably wouldn't be best for me to do it, you know. And this professor was saying, you know, this, this kid, he was good at math, he was hardworking, he was respectful, and yet he had principles. And he said, you know, I really respected that. He actually changed his whole policy where he bought this program for all of his, his graduate assistants who were doing research, and it actually changed his practice. And of course that's uncomfortable. Of course that's awkward to say, you know, I'm the Christian who's got to make a problem of this. And yet that's an important part of a life that brings glory to God. And so this shows us the tension of a life that brings glory to God. It's one that, on the one hand, is a life that connects with all kinds of people. A God-glorifying life does not isolate itself from the world around. It doesn't isolate itself. But actually takes delight in the diversity of God's wild and beautiful world. It thanks God for all things bright and beautiful, for all people bright and beautiful. And this results in a wide variety of relationships so that we are sharing meals in people's homes, not just people in the church, but throughout this community. But as much as Christians should try to remove whatever obstacles they can between them and those around them, there are certain principles that they won't budge on, even if it's uncomfortable. There's certain principles. And so this is the tension that we should expect And this is the tension of a church community that really brings glory to God. So how, as a church community, how do we become like that? This interesting mixture of delight in God's world, connecting with all kinds of people, yet principled. Well, this is the fourth 
quality of a God-glorifying life is that glorifying God is being loved by Jesus. The way you glorify God is by being loved by Jesus. And this verse, in verse 31, in this passage, is actually the summary culmination statement of the last three chapters. This, in this fall, we've been, summer and fall, we've been looking at chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians. This is the final statement that wraps it all together. In verse 31, this is what Paul says. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or uh, to the church of God, just as I trust to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says that this whole beautiful God-glorifying lifestyle he is describing is an imitation of Jesus. Now for most of us, when you hear that expression, imitate Christ, I think what we imagine that means is that Jesus was an exemplary moral man who loved all kinds of people and that we should look at his exemplary life and say, you see how he loved those people? Now you go and do what he did. But I don't think that's actually how the Bible describes imitation. Because the way we're, what we're supposed to imitate in Jesus is not what he did for someone else. I'm supposed to imitate what Jesus has done for me. Because you ask the question, you know, why would I build bonds with people who are different than me? You know, it's way harder to hang out with people that are different than you, that think differently than you, that have different personalities than you. Why would I spend time with people like that? It's really difficult. And the only reason is because I was immensely diff uh, different than Jesus. He is holy. He is righteous. And I was a sinner. I was rebellious. I was far off. And yet Jesus came and befriended me. He called me to himself. He spoke to me. He listened to me. He befriended me. And I was so different than Jesus. And when that hits me, that he has been so kind to me, then it all of a sudden opens my eyes to see the people who are different than me in a new way. I see them in a new way. But it's only when I know that Jesus has treated me that way. Or how do I become a person that really delights in God's world and gives him thanks for it? I'll tell you one of the ways is when you know that you were one of the Father's gifts to the Son. The Bible says that the Father gave you to his Son, Jesus. And Jesus received you and embraced you with thanksgiving. He received you with thanksgiving. You are a gift. You are a source of delight to Jesus. And when it's not only, and when I realize that I give delight, I all of a sudden open up and begin to light in the world. And of course, Jesus was the one who was faithful, who stood on his principles. He was challenged. He was, said things that were unpopular. And he did that in my place. Jesus lived the life that I should have lived in my place. Jesus died the death that I should have died in my place. And so I'm not imitating what Jesus did for someone else. I'm imitating what Jesus did for me. And how God is most glorified in us is when we receive that love. He's most glorified not in what we do, but what in Christ has done for us. That brings glory to God. That announces his goodness and his mercy and declares to the world the goodness of God. And so when we answer the question, how do we become a community that glorifies God, that loves those who are different and enjoys God's world with thankful hearts and stands on our principles, is when we ultimately understand that glorifying God is being loved by Jesus. I'll just say that that is uh, seeing Steve, our brother Steve, in the closing 
uh, days of his life. That is what glorified God in him, is that he rested in Christ's love for him. He rested in Christ's work for him on the cross. And so he knew that he was going to a God who would embrace him and would receive him in glory. And so that's God's invitation to us as well. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, we long for your name to be glorified in us, in our life and in our death. We pray that you would teach us about the great love of Jesus that he has shown to us. Would it give us open hearts to those who are different than us, but also open hearts to your many blessings in this wild and beautiful world. And Lord, as we trust you in in your love, give us courage as well to stand as Christians, as lights in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.